You remember back in 2010, I think it was in January, there was a huge earthquake that hit Haiti and devastated the country. I remember the first time I heard about it, I think it was at an evening service at Calvary Temple in, in Charlottetown, walking in there, and someone had, had told me about what had happened, and I, I hadn't had my eyes on the news. But I remember later that week, hearing word about this guy from some Christian TV show down in the States, Pat Robertson, had started making these comments of, this earthquake is God's judgment on the Haitian people because they made a deal with the devil to overthrow the, the French who were colonizing them or, or whatever. And that, that never sat well with me. I don't, I don't know about you. But it, it reminded me also of, of almost 10 years earlier when 9-11 happened. And this devastating terrorist attack. And not long after, there were pundits, Pat Robertson being one of them as well, who made comments of, this is God's judgment on America because of you know, the number of abortions or because of the sexual promiscuity or, or whatever of American culture. There, there can be a, a tendency that we have to try to make sense of horrific events that happen, and, and sometimes one of the quickest places to go is to say this terrible thing happened because it's God's judgment for specific sin. We saw it with Haiti. We saw it with 9-11. We see it sometimes in the untimely death of an individual. We see it in how uh, uh, an earthquake or tsunami, even on you know, uh, an insurance, uh, insurance policy is called an act of God. I remember it when a Muslim turned Christian apologist who would defend the Christian faith with Muslims, his name was Nabil Qureshi, and he developed an incredibly aggressive form of cancer. And many of his critics said, this is because you have left the true faith of Islam, that it's God's judgment. But we see this not just in like religious context. We see it in kind of our vague cultural spirituality of, of the popular notions of karma, that people say, well, this happened because of something bad that you had done before. Completely unrelated to really the, the, the Hindu term of karma and what that means. Or we say phrases like, he had it coming to him. These assumptions that we have that there's some kind of retribution in the horrific events that happen, it's probably natural for us to wrestle with, and, and sometimes our mind goes there quicker than we would like to admit, but Jesus actually confronted this in some of his teaching. When a tragedy had happened that he heard about. In Luke chapter 13, we read this. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Now, some translations render that, that uh, there were Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. And this gives the idea that these faithful Galilean Jews were coming down from kind of the north country down to Jerusalem and to the temple. 
to pay the religious devotion during one of the festivals in Jerusalem, to go to the temple and to make sacrifices before God. And because of kind of the politically charged nature of these religious festivals, because, you know, for the Jewish people, this was a sign of their identity as God's people and his nation, yet they were conquered and overseen by the Romans. Tensions were always high at these festivals. So whether this event was, you know, these Galileans came down and they were a bit more excited and rowdy and were getting people kind of hyped up. And the Romans felt the need to stamp down on what was going on. Or whether they were those who were inciting riots, or whether they were being zealous in ways that the Romans couldn't handle, something took place where as they were going about sacrificing in the temple, they were killed by Roman soldiers under the command of Pilate. And so the question became, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than any others in Galilee, Jesus asked? Is that why they suffered? The question, were these people worse sinners than other Galileans? This rhetorical question that Jesus puts forward, did they suffer God's judgment by being slaughtered by these Roman soldiers? in the temple. Jesus is getting to this question, this impulse we have of tragedy happened. Is this God's judgment for sin? He responds to his own question, not at all, and you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. Then he brings up another tragic event. And what about the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they worse sinners? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? This was likely a, a construction project that was going on at the time in Jerusalem of trying to rebuild the aqueduct system and provide better water to the city. And something tragic happens as they're building it. The tower falls on those who were constructing and kills them. Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Jesus in this teaching, he flips the question on the head from did this tragedy happen to these people because they were sinners? Did, did God make this happen? because of how they were behaving. Instead, he's, he's hinting that we're asking the wrong question when tragedy happens, if that's the line we're going down. He says it's not, these people died because of God's judgment. Look how bad these people must have been. God isn't kind of the destructive kid on the playground who's, who's torching ants with a magnifying glass because they're worse off than the other one. But, Jesus is asking his listeners to see how quickly life can be taken. Look how quickly your end can come unexpectedly. You're going down to Jerusalem for the festival, and your life is taken. You're part of a construction project to bring water into Jerusalem, and like that. 
Your life comes to an end. And what Jesus says is, you too, unless you repent, will perish. It's not about, were these people judged for their sins? But it's, look how quickly life comes to an end. And are you ready for the judgment that comes after death? Jesus turns it on its head. See, I've never been the the person when I'm on an airplane talking to the person next to me and say, you know, if this plane goes down, do you know where you're going after you die? That's, That's typically not my way into a conversation about Jesus with people. But we live in a part of the world and in a time and place in human history where we are very separated from the concept of death and being confronted with it all the time. A few hundred years ago, actually within the lifetime of many of our parents or grandparents, like death of newborns was constant. There was always this this hauntingness of death in the home. We live in a time and place where someone passes away, we make a phone call, and the body is taken away, and we may never have to see it, and we don't see things until the casket at the funeral, where we don't have to deal with the the dirtiness and the grittiness of death. And many of us have had to, and that's been scarring for us. I was talking to a friend the other day. We went down to King's Castle with our our friends, and uh, he's the son of a butcher, And he grew up, you're killing animals constantly. And when he went away to college, he got a job at a a butcher's place in in Nova Scotia. And he told me Tuesday was pig day. And he would kill 120 pigs on a Tuesday. And he said Tuesdays were dark. Because for him, he was faced with death in a way that, like, I I buy meat at the superstore. Like, I'm, I'm not faced with the reality of death constantly in in order to be able to consume that. Tragedy is terrible. And what happened in Haiti and and what happened at 9-11 were terrible. What happened in the temple where those people were slaughtered and when that tower fell were horrible things. But Jesus is reminding us that those tragedies remind us of the reality of death. That there is something from it that we actually need to be reminded of the fact that life comes to an end. And Jesus uses it to say, unless you repent, you will perish too. And this seems strong and harsh in kind of our 21st century language, and this is actually a pretty easy-to-swallow translation that I've been reading from. We don't like the word repent. We don't like to to hear that. We don't like to hear the the fact that Paul in his letter to the Romans says the wages of our sin is death. And what he's talking about is more than just the fact that our bodies decay and cease to function anymore. Jesus, in his kind of firm warning, in light of these tragedies, is saying don't worry about how sinful or not the Galileans were at the temple. Don't worry about whether the tower falling is judgment. Jesus says, bring it back home. 
Because you have sin that needs to be dealt with. And you don't know when your time is going to be done. You and I, for our sin, deserve death. There is a death beyond the decay and end of human life that sin results in. And so Jesus continues by telling this parable. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year. And I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we don't get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. Some of us are dead fig trees. And year after year, we've not grown. We've not changed. And we look back five years. And and maybe we've been to church Sunday after Sunday, yet no one else other than those in this room would know that we're a follower of Jesus. Maybe we know that there are things in our life that need to change, but we're not... We're not really wanting to take the step towards those changes. Maybe we know I could take my faith a bit more seriously. Or maybe I actually could take ownership for the patterns of sin that I'm in. Maybe I I could, if I really put the time in, invest in my walk with Christ. But we're in a place where we'll say, well, I'll I'll get to that someday. Next season. I'll come back to following Jesus after I've had my fun years. Or I'll start taking my family to church when they don't make any noise. Or I'll lean into this Jesus thing when I have more time and my kids have moved out. Or I'll take it seriously when I retire. I'll do it next season. The problem is we don't know that there's a next season. People get killed at the temple. A construction accident happens and a tower falls, killing those who are building it. We need to hear John the Baptist's words to the Pharisees, where he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That if Jesus tells us to repent, otherwise we will perish, we can say, okay, yes, I've asked for forgiveness. But John the Baptist, he challenges the religious, and he says that if you really believe, if you're really following, show me. Show me the fruit Show me what it looks like that Jesus has taken hold in your life. Show me the tree's not dead. Show me the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness 
and gentleness and self-control that when the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, He is bearing that fruit. Here's the problem, though, for you and for me. Is that we dead trees don't bear fruit. Dead trees don't flourish. You and I were dead trees on our own. Luckily, there's a gardener who steps in and says, don't cut it down. Let me step in. Let me give this tree some time and attention and plenty of fertilizer. And I'll cultivate it. I'll give this tree that has no chance of producing fruit on its own a chance to show that there's life there. I'll give it a chance to grow fruit. Jesus is our gardener. And when we're connected to him, we're able to produce fruit in a way that we cannot on our own. Otherwise, we're dead trees, man. I'm going to read a paraphrase from Jesus' words in John 15. He says, Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. And when you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is pure and abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me, and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows you who he is. That when you produce grapes, when you are mature as my disciples, Some of us need to hear this this morning. And this is not like an easy conversation for me to talk about. But we can't put off leaning into Jesus. We can't put off being connected to him and saying, well, I'll wait. Wait until things slow down. I'll wait until my kids aren't a handful. We will bear fruit when we are abiding, dwelling, remaining, living in Jesus. Leaning into Him. Maybe you've had a I've been saved moment years ago. And that passion has dwindled and faded to a going through the motions kind of faith. To the point where you feel like I'm not bearing the fruit that I've once seen in my life. The gardener's there to cultivate with you. Maybe you're someone who, like this whole Jesus thing is newer to you and you don't really know what it's about and you're hesitant to, to dive in. I don't want to encourage you that Jesus is the way forward. Maybe you've been drifting. 
And instead of being a tree bearing fruit, you've seen the fruit withering. And you know that I need to reconnect with the vine in order to produce good fruit. That I know that maybe I'm not dead yet, but I'm not in a healthy spot. The gardener is there. Jesus says, let me step in. Let me give you the special attention that you need. Let me give you plenty of fertilizer in the language of the passage. See, this is where we see the mercy of of our God. And the fact that he's not quick to cut down dead trees. But instead reveals himself as a gardener who's stepping in to give the tree a chance to bear fruit. We have a God who steps in. A God who stepped in when humanity fell back at the time of Adam and Eve. He said, instead of leaving humanity to its devices, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm going to make you a promise that one day someone's going to come to crush the head of the serpent. He's a God who stepped in when things didn't look great, but all of a sudden he called a man named Abraham and he said, through you and your family, I'm going to bless the nations. We had a God who stepped in physically into his creation, in flesh and blood, who walked our walk and sweated and stank and lived the reality of humanity. We have a God who stepped in and took the cross. My cross. Your cross. We have a God who stepped in and sent the Spirit to fill us and give us new life to dwell with us and change our hearts and help us bear fruit. We have a Savior who steps in and right now is interceding on our behalf before the throne of God. Who sees us because of the cross and says they're mine. And though they have sinned, though they're broken, though they're imperfect, they're part of the family. We have a God who stepped in. The question for us this morning is, will we pass that off for some other time? Do we know that now is the time? We don't know what the next season is. My goodness, the last year and a half has shown us that the future is incredibly unpredictable. After the service today, we're going to have a chance. uh, We have some people who have volunteered to pray with you. If you would like someone to, to pray with you, if this has been something that's been laying on your heart. but I would hate for us to walk out of here this morning and just pass the buck to some other season and to dismiss the words of Jesus because we don't know what the future holds.
Would you pray with me? Jesus, your words um, have a poignancy and a weight to them that mine certainly do not. And so I pray, Spirit, that you would use the words of Jesus this morning to speak to our hearts. For our hearts who need to hear that now is the time to not pass off your cultivating work as the gardener to some other time that we don't know whether it's going to come. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a merciful Savior. That our God has shown himself to us as a God who steps in and is merciful. Who doesn't just throw us out like we're disposable, but seeks to restore us and to give us new life. May we find that in you. For those of us who need to repent, may we repent. For those of us who need to lean in, might we lean in. For those of us who need to take the step of choosing you as Lord, may we take that step. May your will be done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.